Good. Well, uh, as I said, we're going to do things a little bit different this morning. Uh, had this idea uh, about a month ago when Jackie asked if anyone would like. Actually, I didn't draw the short straw. I mean, it's a. I don't think there's a, a higher privilege than, than leading people in the word or worship, but it's also probably the most uh, humbling, intimidating responsibility because you don't want to you don't want to mess up God's word or his song and so uh, you know my prayer this morning is that uh, I would get out of the way and that he would shine through and that he would speak to each one of us as we study uh, worship and that's specifically what he put on my heart is to talk about worship I'm actually elder over worship here uh, because I volunteered and I married uh, a gal here who, 46 years ago, uh, introduced me to recitals and concerts and musical instruments that I didn't know existed. And so I've been going. I've been involved in music my whole life since since I've been married, and 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 have a, a great appreciation for it. Uh, music is uh, actually God's invention. It's not man's, and we're going to see that as we get into the word this morning. But uh, I want to start off with a, qu- a question. Actually, it's a quiz. Uh, last week, Jackie is in Philippians chapter 3, and he gave a statement. He said, our ultimate purpose is to do what? Philippians 3.14, if you have your Bible you want to cheat, if you don't remember, which most of you probably don't like. I didn't. I had to look at my notes. Philippians 3.14 has uh, that answer. And if you remember, he said, our ultimate, this is a quote, our ultimate purpose is to press on. Remember that last week? Our ultimate purpose is to press on. Uh, I want to build on that this morning because, uh, you know, that, that's not a one-sentence answer when you talk about our purpose in life. Uh, why did God create us? What is our purpose for existence? It's a huge question, has a lot of, lot of uh, content under it, a lot of, lot of uh, ways that we could answer it. But this morning, I'm going to start real broad, uh, and then I'm going to narrow it down. And we'll see how that goes. One of the answers that, that I came up with, actually, uh, as answering that question, what is our ultimate purpose, is found in the Shorter Westminster Catechism. It's a little book uh, that was actually designed in 1647 by 100 120-some Puritan clergymen, and they came up with a catechism, a set of instructions to teach, teach their young people and and to teach Christians in particular, uh, to teach God's word, to teach the important things. Uh, they were, their purpose was to, uh, to reform the Church of England, get it in line doctrinally, and make sure that that was passed on. There's 107 questions in this catechism. If you've never, never seen it, you might want to pick it up. It has some great stuff in it. And he says, uh, they say in this little catechism that the that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I want to focus this week on the first part, on glorifying God. Now, you probably had lots of other ideas of what, how you would fill in the blank of what's our ultimate purpose. Uh, you, you could say all kinds of things, uh, do as well, seek first the kingdom, uh, you know, be like, be imitators of him, run the race to win the prize. Uh, but I want to I emphasize this idea of glorifying God. It's a word that uh, sort of doesn't fit into our culture. It's not a word that you hear very often. And so I want to I dial in on that. And I want to start with the scripture that they use in this catechism. And that's 1 Corinthians 10.31. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, this, of course, is in context to uh, uh, freedom, you know, what you should eat, what you, what you shouldn't eat. We have the freedom in Christ. But it says whatever you do, not just what you eat or drink or, or whatever, but whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. How do we glorify God in our body? Well, it's a real important question that we need to answer personally because that's how we're going to live out our life. We're going to live out our life according to the purpose that we think we have. And so we know that in Luke 2.20, the first thing that the shepherds did, first uh, in Luke 2.20, right at, after Jesus' birth, it says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So that's what they did very first off. They glorified God, and I have a feeling that they were singing. We have a number of songs that we sing uh, at Christmas time in particular that, uh, that have that phrase, glorify God. And that's the very first time that God was glorified, right after his birth. There's a quote <clears throat> by Brother Lawrence, uh, you probably haven't heard of him. He's a 17th century monk, wrote a really neat book called Practicing the Presence of God. Uh, But he said in this quote, I think I have that on the screen there. The thing we ought to purpose to, to ourselves in this life is to become the most perfect worshipers of God we can possibly be as we hope to be through all eternity, to become the most perfect worshipers. Think about what that might include in your life, to become the most perfect worshipers. I think of in Revelation, the very end, chapter 22, and they asked, John is writing, he says, what should we do? And they said to the angels, and he said, worship God. 
That's our purpose, is to worship God. We were created for his pleasure. We are designed to be creatures that worship him. What does it mean to, to uh, glorify God? Hey, thanks. What does it mean to glorify God? Well, let's look at the word in the Greek from uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Uh, the word glory actually is the word doxa in Greek, and you, you are familiar with the word doxology, which we're going to play here in just a minute. But it means dignity, honor, praise, and worship. The word glorify means to dignify God, to honor God, to praise God, and to worship God. That's what glorify is. Now, this morning, what I would like to do, uh, just to keep me on track so I don't get off on too many rabbit trails, I got a few people in the audience who are going to help me if I do. Uh, but I made sort of an outline of uh, what is our ultimate purpose. That's back at the beginning there, Rachel, I think. What is our ultimate purpose? I want to accomplish four things this morning. First, I want to define for us in part what worship is. Then I want to talk about who should worship. I think everybody knows the answer to that. <clears throat> and then thirdly, what should happen during this specific worship service. And that's why I chose to do it last. Um, I want to be intentional in my teaching. Hopefully we, will, we as a body of Christ here at Calvary Chapel Buell uh, can put the word into practice in a new way with a new purpose. And then lastly, uh, I'm going to give you seven reasons, seven benefits that the word, and there's a whole lot more than seven, uh, when we actually participate in worship. So that's the agenda. That's the menu for, for today. So, first of all, Hebrews 12.28. <clears throat> what is worship? Verses 28 and 29 say... Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. What is acceptable worship? Now, you're talking about worshiping the creator of the universe, the king of kings. What is acceptable worship? worship to him. Well, there's been a lot of attempts and a lot of, uh, that's what church is all about. We are about uh, gathering together to honor him and to worship him. Uh, obviously, the word is a part of that. Worship is a, is a huge, it's everything that we are, everything that we do. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures is Colossians 3.23. It says, do all things heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. That includes everything. Everything from uh, you know, doing the dishes to preparing a sermon to vacuuming the sanctuary. Uh, whatever we do, God says to do it with all your heart. But don't do it for man. Do it, do it for me. Our life should represent in every aspect honor and dignity and glory to God. 
People should be able to see Christ in everything that we do. That's our goal, to be like him, to be perfect as he's perfect. And, of course, that is a journey. Worship means, in the Greek, in that, act, in that word, in Hebrews, and this is really interesting, it can be best defined, and I was, I was going to try to pull this off, but it, I knew it wouldn't work. I have a, I have a black lab, Gracie. And, uh, you know, labs, if you've had labs, they're, they're great dogs. They are so affectionate, loving, uh, aggressive when it comes to hunting and retrieving in particular. But Gracie, without a doubt, worships me. Every time she sits there in her kennel, waits for the lights to come on if it's dark, and she looks for first sign of life in the home, has her paws under the kennel door, waiting for me to come out the door, wagging her tail while she's waiting. And when I come, she rushes me and just licks me to death. She is a licker. She is the ultimate uh, example of a worshiper because that's exactly what the word means. It means to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. That's what it says in the Greek. Look it up. To kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. You want to know what acceptable worship is? Let me introduce you to Gracie. She licked, I can, I can beat her when she does something bad and she'll come back, lick, wagging her tail, and she still loves me. There's a picture here up there of a dog licking. That's the, that's the second best. I, I knew Gracie, if I let her in, I'm afraid she would do some things she shouldn't do. But <clears throat> uh, So get that mind, get that picture in your mind. Worship in the Greek, in that word in Hebrews, means to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. That's the attitude. That's acceptable worship. Now, we don't come to Christ like that all the time, obviously. But that's our goal. If we, as, as we get to know him and appreciate his character, uh, more and more the older we get, it's easier for us to do that. We understand the price that he paid and what provision he's made for us. In Webster's 1828 Dictionary, it says it like this, because this, this uh, dictionary actually was written by Noah Webster, who was a Christian and was an astute study uh, studier of the word and included all kinds of scripture in this dictionary. But there are two forms of the word worship, and that the noun form is a state of mind. It, it says, the act of paying divine honors to the supreme being consisting in adoration, confession, prayer, thanksgiving, and the like. Some other definitions of worship. The verb form of worship is to adore, to pay divine honors to, to reverence with supreme respect and veneration. That's an action word. That involves activity, as we're going to show in Scripture later. There are all kinds of forms of worship. Uh, standing, kneeling, bowing, laying down, dancing, shouting, lifting your hands. These are all expressions of worship. 
Uh, ironically, though, licking your master's hand isn't actually in the Psalms. I couldn't find it anyways. But uh, maybe David didn't have a dog. I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> worship involves, let's look at the quote. Did I read the quote? Yeah, I read that one. Worship involves movement towards God. When we have a worship service, we have to move. We know that he's everywhere. He's um, uh, omnipresent. But we have to move into his presence sometimes. We come in here with all kinds of baggage. I don't know about you, but I come in with baggage every Sunday, thinking about other things. Stuff happens. We bring it in here. So we have to move towards him. And I'm going to talk about what that word presence means in a second here. But we have to move towards him. There's a, a mental state that we have to get ourselves into. And that's, I believe, one of the reasons we have music. Music gets us into that, that state that allows us to push all the cares of the world aside and turn our eyes on Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light and the glory of his grace. So we move towards him. Worship involves replacing thoughts. And we've been talking in Philippians, Jackie's been talking about changing your mind. This is a great place to learn how to change your mind, change your thinking. Uh, we need to replace those thoughts, usually about ourselves, 99.9% .9 of the time. We're thinking about circumstances, uh, situations in our life, health issues, whatever. We need to replace thoughts about ourselves with thoughts about him. There's a good quote by Bill Heimer. I don't know who this guy is, but I read it in this book, uh, Intercessory Worship. I think I have a slide up on there. And it says, The greatest value of praise is that it decentralizes self and, demonstrate and demands a shift from self to God. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could just flip a switch and not think about the things that concern us and put all of our effort into glorifying God and worshiping him? Everything would be good. We would not have any cares or burdens to carry, and we could give him the praise that he deserves. Now, there's all kinds of, and again, I said, I, I know I'm, I'm tackling a big subject. Worship is huge. I, uh, when I got studying this a month ago, oh my gosh, I had to keep throwing stuff out and keep narrowing it down because there's so much in the word about worship. It's such an important issue. It's why he created us, as I said. The chief end of man is to glorify God, to worship God. But during this worship service that we have, that we set aside uh, four or five or six songs. It's intentional. It's for a purpose. Um, it helps us focus on him. It gets us aligned with his word, with what he wants us to do. God created us with vocal cords. If you've noticed, some work better than others. Mine don't work as good. Rich and Michelle's work much, much better. And and there are some, some, you know, song is such a huge thing in our country. 
Singing is God's idea. It's his invention. He created song for a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify him. Believe it or not, it's not what you see on TV so much. Uh, he created animals, even. You know, one of my favorite sounds is the sound of that bull elk in September. I mean, that, that sends chills up and down, down my spine when I hear those elks bugling. Uh, Don loves the sound of those mallards quacking with those wings set in the sunlight. Coming in on a sunny day, he told me there's nothing better when those mallards coming into a set of decoys with the sun shining on those iridescent colors, quacking away. That creation is of God. He created ducks to quack, bulls to bugle, us to sing to him. That's his invention. That's his, his design. He even... He even... Uh, uh, made if we don't participate he said he'd make the rocks cry out remember in Luke uh, or rather if, you know, where was that verse oh, I think I skipped over it already let me go back to it <clears throat> yeah I'll find it As you can see, I'm not nearly as experienced as Jackie. He just goes with the flow, and he lets it fly. It's a, it's a real gift, but he does it every week, so bear with me. Luke 19, that's where it is, Rachel. Luke 19, 37 through 40. He said, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, their very stones would cry out. Jesus rebuked the people who wanted to sing praises to him. He said, I'd make the rocks cry out. And I was thinking about that. I don't want to be sitting in back of a rock in heaven because I didn't participate in what he created me to do. He created us to sing. In the Bible, there's over 85 mentions of singing. In the Bible, uh, there's 70, over 70 just in the book of Psalms, which is, of course, a song book. Uh, he created in us uh, 30 different muscles, 14 specific and another uh, 16 or so indirect muscles for the purpose of voice, sound, singing. So again, singing is God's idea. He wants us to sing. He gave some people some really good voices, and they are the ones uh, that he uses uh, to minister to others. Like I mentioned the word Glory uh, has, comes from the Greek word doxa, which we get doxolo doxology from. How many are familiar with the doxology? You know, how many? Maybe six? That's amazing, because I, I come from back east, and I was raised in a congregational church, 
And every single Sunday, we sang the doxology to close the service. And so for you poor Idahoans or Midwesterners that have not heard it, every, this is the most sung worship song on the planet, period. This song has been sung more than any other in history. And I'd like, uh, if we can get it working, we had trouble with it this morning, but if I can get that pulled up, Jared saved the day and figured it out how to work. This is the Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, That's inspiring. That's worship. That's excellent worship. We don't have to sing that well to worship. In fact, I'm sure some of you, uh, my wife, when I played that to her, says, boy, I don't want to have to sing after that because it's beautiful. They have beautiful voices. Nobody would want to sing after that. Uh, They've been gifted. God gives us different gifts for exercising different ways and that's surely but what I want to say is here worship is not a performance Uh, it very easily can be put as a performance like playing this video even exalting these singers it's not about good voices necessarily that they're important we need to use our gifts Uh, but it's what worship is, is definitely not it's not a performance. It's not about people getting up here uh, and you know singing along with the song that you all love. The focus of worship is our creator. That's our challenge as a worship community is to keep the focus on Jesus 
and not the sound system or the worship leaders or any other distraction. Our goal and purpose is to be able to go directly into his throne room and worship him, get into his presence, because good things happen there, as I'm going to talk about in a minute. Ephesians 5.15 says, Ephesians 5.15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms are composed by God, their scripture, and we sing them back to him and for each other. Hymns are composed by men, men and women, and they are to make statements, theological statements, doctrinal statements, proclamations, uh, and they are addressed to, to us as well as God. And then there's spiritual songs, which are composed by the Holy Spirit. And he's the only one that understands them, and they're directed to him, to give him honor and praise. Colossians 3.16 reinforces that, and it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. Notice that singing is admonishing. When we sing to each other here, it's not just filling up time, waiting for the message. We're admonishing one another with words, with scriptures, with good sound doctrine, with encouragement, with proclamations. So it has a purpose. Songs have a purpose in our worship service. Secondly, uh, who should worship? This is easy. Who should worship? Everybody. And if we fail to, the rocks are there. First, the stars, it says in Job 38, they sing, they sang out to him. Everybody was created to worship. And I would say, very arguably, controversially maybe, it doesn't matter who you are, what kind of voice you have, you were made, you were created to sing to God. That's why he created you with vocal cords. That was the design purpose of those cords. In Psalm 150, it says, this sort of answers the question, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Psalm 104.33 says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Present your bodies. There was a song we used to sing back in the 70s or 80s. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. You know, some mornings it's a sacrifice. We have to lay it down and do what our bodies don't want to do. You know, my body sometimes when I come in here, says, I don't want to do this. It's not how I feel. But he says, God says to bring sacrifices of praise. Present your bodies. Hebrews 13, 15 in the Amplified Version says, Through him, therefore, let us at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. Our lips were created to glorify his name. So, you know, we're talking about singing as a part of worship. It's granted, it's a part, but it's a part that we set aside every Sunday, every Wednesday, and a lot of other times in between. We set it apart to sing to our Creator. It's a form of worship that I think is absolutely pivotal. It's absolutely critical into what God wants us to do to Him and also what He wants to do in us. It's a vehicle, if you will. Uh, I can hear people saying, well, I don't, I don't have a good voice. You don't want me to sing. Well, you've got to answer that question to God. Uh, what if I don't like the song? Here's a big one. Hear that all the time. As, you know, elder over worship, I give people, man, we need to do more hymns. We need to do more upbeat songs. It needs to be louder. It needs to be softer. We need to do fewer. We need to do more. Everybody has an opinion about it. And that's all good, and we try to accommodate because we want as many people in a diverse congregation to be able to enter into his presence. But we can't please everybody. The only way I'm going to do what I want is if I put my headset on and I turn the music on that I like and turn the volume up to what I like, and it's just me and God. That's the only way it's going to happen. In a corporate setting, it's a, it's a juggling, it's a balancing act to try to make it all happen so everybody is happy. And I can tell you, guarantee you, uh, there's somebody unhappy every Sunday for one of those reasons, because I hear about it. Uh, and I'm one of them too. I'm one of the ones offering opinions about it. And that's okay. But the point is, we have to redirect, we have to uh, change our thinking and remember who we're doing this for. Paul sang in prison. He didn't have any problem singing in prison. What's my problem? Having, having issues in a church. Pretty poor excuse. And then we got the issue of what if I don't want to? Don't tell me what to do. You felt it out there, right? Don't tell me to sing. I'm not a singer, and by golly, I'm going to die quiet. Well, maybe you will. But God created you to sing. Our job is to serve, is to humble ourselves in his sight, and he's promised to lift us up, is to pick up our cross and die. We have to die sometimes in a worship service. That sounds really stupid, but we do. We have to pick up our cross and die to our opinions, our feelings, our thoughts, and we have to focus on him. 
It's not about me. It's all about him. Third, what should happen during these five or six songs that we sing? What should happen? Well, I've been a part of services where some incredible incredible things happened in worship. Uh, in fact, I've been the services I've been a part of probably more happened in the during the singing part of it than during the speaking, the, the sermon part of it, to me personally and others that I've observed. There's something about singing that God created uh, for us to cohabitate with him where we can get into his presence and he can has a direct line to our hearts. That process, I don't understand it, but I know that, that uh, singing is a very important part. The first thing that should happen is we delight in him. Adoration, that's one of the definitions of worship. We come to adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Psalm 27, 4 says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's what we're doing during worship. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus, gazing upon his beauty. You know, I, I think of a scripture in Psalm 19.1 uh, that I, every time I go hunting, uh, get up early, hit the trail, try to get to my favorite ridge before daylight, I think of the scripture that says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Because as I see the light starting to come over the mountain, everything starts coming to life. You start hearing the sounds, smelling the smell, smells of the, of the woods. And I think of the glory of God. It's incredible. It's, uh, it's so peaceful. It's so reverent. He created that. He created the heavens to glorify him. He created the birds to sing to him. Everything for his pleasure. Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Nothing on earth that I desire besides you. You know, David had the ability to block everything out and focus on God in worship. I don't know if he wrote this song, but I'm guessing I'm probably safe. Uh, but nothing on earth I desire besides you. He was a man that pleased God because of that ability to focus on him. Psalm 84, 1 and 2 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Psalm 99.9 says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Exalt. He commands us to exalt him 
That's E-X-A-L-T. It means to be high, to rise up, to elevate. We are created to exalt him. The second thing that should happen during our worship service, now remember, keep bringing it back to here, right now, this morning, what we're going to do in a few minutes. We're going to worship him. In Zephaniah 3.17, now think of, think of this. This is what God does. God delights in us. He delights in what he created, especially when we sing praises back to him. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. He will exult over you, Jeff, with loud singing. Imagine that. Exult means to leap for joy, to rejoice in triumph. Can you see, I don't know what Yahweh looks like, but can you see him leaping for joy in triumph? He gets excited when his children get into worship. That is going to be a glorious thing to experience. We're going to be doing a lot of singing in heaven, so we might as well start practicing now. I, you know, Scripture says we're going to, in fact, that's one of the few things it does say that we're going to be doing in heaven is singing. Isaiah 62.5 is another verse that says, And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. You know how you feel when your kids try to please you, when they do something special like maybe make you a heart, <laughs> like little uh, Johnny did for Michelle the other night. Uh, no, I guess it was uh, Marley. She made a heart for Michelle during worship practice and, and gave it to her mother and had pictures had colors for her dad. and I mean, that warms your heart. Just think what it does to God when we honor him and give him the, the glory that he's... It not only warms his heart, he leaps for joy and triumph. The third thing that it does is we draw near to him. During this worship service, our objective is to draw close to him, both with our bodies and our minds, with both body and mind. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near with a true heart. Sometimes you've got to draw near with an ugly heart. That's the truth of the matter. It doesn't matter what, uh, what we feel like, what we come with, our, our objective during this worship service is to get close to him. The amazing thing that happens when we do that, the fourth 
thing is God draws near to us and ministers to us. I believe that God created singing, God created song, our vocal cords. For this, one of the main reasons for this express purpose is so that we can use this vehicle to be transformed. I really believe that. In James 4, 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you, you double-minded. He promises. Now, I don't know how that works. He's omnipresent, and you know, uh, but there is a certain aspect here that he says we can get closer to him. When we make an effort towards him, like that dog reaching out to lick his master's hand, he gets closer to us. We feel his presence, and I, I surely have felt his presence. He created those feelings for us to enjoy that closeness, that intimacy. Psalm 97.5 says, The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declares righteousness, and all the people see his glory and brilliance. I believe that when we worship him and we sing to him, that we get a little closer glimpse of his glory, of his presence. Surely, uh, Isaiah, in, in Isaiah 6, it says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And, you know, we see in several places in Scripture, in John, where he saw the Lord and he just fell down and worshiped, saying, holy, holy, holy. I believe, and I've talked to other people who actually uh, had experiences with the Lord in a real personal way that were just incredible. I believe if, that if we diligently seek him, that we can find him. Just like if you want to be a, closer to somebody, be friendlier. Reach out to them. Well, it's the same with God. If we want to draw closer to him uh, and know him better, he's provided a way to do that. And that's one way is through singing. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Lastly, the benefits. Why should we sing during this worship part of the service? Well, I came up with seven reasons, but there's probably 700. Uh, but let me give you a couple. First of all, he promises rest. In Exodus 33, 14, Exodus 33, 14, it says, And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. When we get into his presence, there is rest. Uh, that word presence in the Hebrew means the face. Now, Yahweh doesn't have a body, so to speak. God doesn't have a body as we know a body. Uh, but it says in the Hebrew, it's as the part that turns. Now imagine God turning more of his presence to you. You know, it's sort of like getting your hands closer to a fire. Uh, you feel the heat. That's not a good example. But uh, when we draw near to him and worship him and lift up his name and exalt him, there's a warmth 
there's a feeling of joy, of rest that we can experience. Another benefit in Hebrews 4.16 is let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, if you're here this morning and you need mercy and grace, which we all do every, every day, but, you know, there are times when we need to be ministered to. We need his mercy. We need to feel his grace. We can find it during worship when we draw near to him. We bring the sacrifice of praise. We sing even when we don't feel like it, even if we don't know the song, even if we don't like the song, we sing to him. A third benefit, James 4.10. Humble yourself with an attitude of repentance and insignificance in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will give you purpose. Humble yourself with an attitude of repentance and insignificance. A good thing to do if you come in with a with stinking thinking is to just start with confession. Just repent. Just say, Lord, forgive me. I got a bad attitude. Uh, help me. I'm not here for any other purpose but to glorify you. Humble yourself. He will lift you up and he will give you purpose. When we humble ourselves and draw near to God, as I said, I believe transformation happens. And being an old science teacher, I understand that word transformation is from metamorphose. It means metamorphosis. And, and I think a year ago when I, when I taught, I, I had a video of, a, of the changing of a caterpillar into a butterfly. Was anybody here for that? Uh, I know a couple of you were. But uh, what happens in the transformation of an ugly caterpillar to a beautiful butterfly is that caterpillar hangs upside down on a vine, on a branch, spins a cocoon, and it sits there and wrestles. It wiggles and wrestles, and all the internal parts of that caterpillar liquefy, and it becomes a new creation. It becomes a beautiful butterfly. Totally defies all good science. That's what happens. I believe that's that same process happens during our worship. That when we humble ourselves, surrender to him. We're going to be singing, closing with a song, I Surrender All. When we surrender to him, we make ourselves available for him to change us, to make us new creations, to make us more like him. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Nehemiah said the joy of the Lord is our what? Strength. Anybody need some strength today? Sing. Sing to the Lord. We all need strength every day. A fifth benefit of worship, First uh, Chronicles 16.27, Splendor 
and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. place. Again, he promises to give us strength when we're in his presence. Psalm 65.4 gives us another benefit. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. He just makes us satisfied. Everything is okay in his presence. The last uh, verse, I don't have a slide for, so I'm going to look up, but I wanted to include it this morning. Last Saturday, the men's breakfast, we talked about 2 Chronicles 20, King Jehoshaphat. And that's a great chapter. Jehoshaphat was one of the, arguably the best king or one of the best kings. And, uh, you know, he, he, was in a, he was in a pickle. He had, he had major issues. So what did he do? He stood and he fasted and prayed. He brought together his worship leaders and instruments and singers. And that was the first thing he did. Uh, he said, you know, I don't know what to do, Lord. I'm in trouble here, but my eyes are on you. He knew where to go. He needed to get into God's presence. And he uh, called his worship team to the stage, and he said he had them sing, sing praises. They stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a loud voice. And they went up, out, and it says, and here's the verses I wanted to read. And when he had taken counsel with the people, this is verse 21, of Second Chronicles 20. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Now listen to this. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. And you know what happened? The enemy killed themselves. They literally turned on each other. And it all started with singing. They started singing to him. So regardless of where you are this morning, and and you know that, just take a moment uh, while Michelle and Richard and Joe come up and and get ready. We're going to have a time of worship. I've given you reasons to worship. I've told you what it is, why we should do it. And so just enjoy now the presence of God. Give him 100% of your time and attention right now, body, mind, and soul. And let's give him the glory and the honor that he deserves right now.